ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I am Branham. It's BMAC behind the glass. No Joe George today. Joe George is out the rest of the week. Why is Joe George out the rest? What, what does Joe George have to miss Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in late January? Why? Wrong answers only. 713-780-ESPN. Uh, a very busy, busy show. Uh, the Hive told us yesterday it's time to start talking about Texans offseason. And because we always we always listen to the Hive. Uh, we, we are just merely vessels of what the Hive wants us to do. Uh, we'll talk some Texans offseason. Who, who are you keeping? Who are you not keeping from these pending free agents for the Houston Texans? Bobby Slowick. I think the odds of Bobby Slowick uh, decreased uh, of him leaving with the announcement yesterday of Callahan to the Titans. But I still think it's possible. I still think it's 40%. Are we overreacting? Are we overplaying how important Bobby Slowick is to the Texans when you have D'Amico, when you have uh, C.J. Stroud? We'll get to that. Rockets at the halfway point plus one. They're one game past the halfway point. Uh, how do we grade the Rockets to this point of the season? A very busy show. It's a cash them or trash them Tuesday. Lots of stuff. Why is Joe not here for the rest of the week? Uh, wrong answers only at 713-780-3776. And it's mock draft season. It's mock draft season. We love mock draft season. But I've been fi- I've been trying to find a way lately to, to lead with something not the Texans. And I think today's the day we can really do it. We can really do it, and it's not a reach. I think you can really do it. Today's Hall of, fi- Hall of Fame day in Major League baseball and we know that like national baseball is not that big a deal like nfl every team matters even in the city of houston that's not the case in baseball it's not the case in basketball those sports are regional nfl is a a national sport but there is a houston tie here obviously billy wagner is trending toward making the hall of fame adrian beltray looks like a lock joe mauer looks like a lock todd helton looks like a lock ish which i have some problems with that but billy wagner in his ninth year for voting is trending Trending that way as well. That'd be really cool, Blakers. That'd be the third homegrown Houston Astro to make the Hall of Fame. It really would. And I heard Granado this morning, and obviously the saves he didn't bring up. But when he started comparing some of the numbers between Billy Wagner and Mariano Romero, Mariano Rivera in terms of uh, you know strikeout percentage, uh, a lot of the key, you know, uh, the average against stri- all these different stats, and you're going, man, they're pretty equal that it's pretty impressive. I think it was at a time, like you said, it was at a time when there were a lot of superstar-type players and, and, and impactful players like Bags and Biggio and guys like that. But Billy Wagner was lights out for a, a good period of time for this Astros team, and it would be very, very cool to see him get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's, that's a big part of my childhood, where it's like, okay, that's the killer beer. I mean, that's Biggio, yeah. that's Bagwell, that's Wagner, uh, who was, was locking it down at the end. MLB Network went out with their – they posted a video of uh, Billy Wagner, and they had it narrated by Craig Biggio. Pretty cool uh, video if you, if you can find it on the Twitter or on the internets, wherever you find your uh, stuff. Uh, it's worth the watch. Only three minutes or so, worth the watch. But, yeah, I mean, you, could, you can make the case that he's one of the greatest closers ever. And I, I think nowadays, because we've – kind of 
as a major league baseball society have increased the value of closers because I mean that used to be that, that used to not be that valuable uh, closers and now you have closers making 19 million dollars a year uh, Josh Hader which is another kind of full circle thing you sign a big lefty reliever closer yesterday and then the, your your greatest lefty reliever closer is going to get in the Hall of Fame today knock on wood uh, they're supposed to announce it around five o'clock so if it does happen we'll we'll break in do all that stuff what amazes me too about Wagner's career was his final year because he, he kind of bounced around towards the end he was effective but he, you know he's bouncing around a few different places it was with the Braves and you could make the case that his best season that he's ever had in his major league baseball career in fact it's his lowest ERA year that he ever had 143 at the age of 38 he retired he retired like a lefty reliever with a 143 ERA that had 37 saves and 104 strikeouts and 69 innings could nowadays get $15 million a year, no problem. And he walked away. He said, I'm done. So he could have stat padded. He could have easily gotten to maybe 450 saves. I doubt 500, but maybe 450. But he was like, you know what? Uh, I've done enough. I've made enough money. My kids are growing up. I'm going to walk away from $12 million at the time, and I'm just going to move on with my life. Like, he could have padded. He could have easily padded those stats. He really could have. And look, to say that he had a dominant fastball and the way that he was able to use it uh, was an understatement. And and he was just dominant. And maybe because he bounced around a lot and maybe because, like you said, that he cut his career a little short when he didn't have to, maybe people don't remember him the way they remember some of the most dominant closers in the game. But, you know, I thought he was still dominant with the Mets, but I, I obviously know and saw some of, and I think I saw the majority of his time with the Astros, and and he was impressive. And, and you know, they had a bullpen that had a lot of good arms in it that played a big role in the success of those teams in the heyday of the Killer Bees, as you mentioned. So you're pulling for him, and obviously you're pulling him. He deserves it, I think. It's easy to say you're pulling for him because he's an asteroid, like you you were mentioning about him in the middle of your you know your childhood and growing up with a guy like that. But I think that he's warranted. And, and to be honest, Jeremy, there's a lot of guys on this list when you put it on the rundown and when you're looking at guys that could possibly get in that I think aren't guys that I ever think about as being Hall of Famers. I, I think that the one thing that's disappointing to me when you get to some of these Hall of Fame lists these days are is the fact that you're not just sitting there choosing the best of the best with the most dominant superstar players of an era. You're looking at guys that in a lot of cases people are going, eh, yeah, he was really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was he was an all-star for several years, but even that gets watered down to where I'm going, yeah, I just, it's not the same as it used to be in which, like, even an Adrian Beltre, I know he had a great, a really good, good career, but I never thought of him as being a great third yeah, baseman. Yeah, I disagree with that. I think Adrian Beltre is one of the greatest third basemen ever. Ever? I think he's, yeah, actually, I do. His numbers will stack up against anybody from a third base perspective. I think he's one of the easily top three, top five greatest third basemen ever. And he's, I think he's the most underrated third baseman ever. I just, you know, Todd Helton's the first one that came to mind with the with the altitude in Denver and everything that goes with that. But I look at, I just look, we see Beltre different. And I thought he was a heck of a player. Look, I, I thought that, you know, he played on a lot of good teams. Uh, and his numbers, because he, you know, he played a long time too, his numbers, like you said, are going to hold up. But I, I think superstars, I think third baseman, and you think of like, you know, just stud third baseman. And, and, and I mean, right off the top, Mike Schmidt is one of the big, you know, 500 some home runs and, and dominant, you know, superstar third baseman. Um, but if you think he's one of the top three third baseman, I don't, I just, I guess I don't see him that way. 
here, like, because I, I would put Schmidt on that list too. And, and Schmidt was a three-time MVP, and Adrian Beltre never won an MVP. So, like, okay, that that's that's point towards Schmidt. But if you look at just like their raw volume numbers, Mike Schmidt got over five hundred. He was at five forty-eight. Adrian Beltre was a four seventy-seven. Like he was knocking on the door of five hundred. Mike Schmidt had twenty-two hundred hits. Adrian Beltre had thirty-one hundred hits. Um, he he stacks like I wouldn't put him ahead of Schmidt, but that's okay. why I said top three, top right, five, right. not the right. greatest. But Adrian Beltre, five time Gold Glove at a premium defensive position. His WAR, like if you're into that sort of thing, ninety three and a half. Like his his numbers are incredible, and I think that's why he's going to get like a very high percentage of the vote. Mm-hmm. Of all these guys, he's going to get the highest percentage of the vote. My my biggest deal, like aside from Billy Wagner, and I, I tell myself this every year because I've kind of become a little bit disinterested in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame because I think it's a sham. Uh, Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame. He's the greatest baseball player ever. And I understand the PED stuff, but why are baseball writers playing the morale police? Like, you're not the one that's supposed to make that call. Barry Bonds never failed a Major League Baseball drug test. There's a lot of guys that have been hinted to use PEDs that are in the Hall of Fame. And then you have a guy like Alex Rodriguez, who's currently on the ballot, that's getting outvoted by Carlos Beltran. How? So I think there's a lot of like morality police when it comes to these baseball writers, and I can't stand it. I don't like it. So I become I become extremely disinterested in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and I tell myself every year I'm not going to get worked up about the Hall of Fame, and then it comes out Hall of Fame day, and I'm like, eh, I'll find something to get annoyed about. Um, like it's like for the, the lead thing is Billy Wagner. Like if Billy Wagner gets in, Billy the Kid, awesome, another Houston homegrown. That that's like the one A lead story when you're talking about Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. The the one pet peeve I do have. Is you know you mentioned Todd Helton, and I, I feel like and the guy that I always relate these fringe Hall of Famers to is Lance Berkman because I think Lance Berkman got flat out screwed. I think Lance Berkman's one of the best switch hitters in his generation. Uh, his numbers stack up offensively. His offensive numbers stack up with Chipper Jones, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yet Lance Berkman was off the ballot on his very first ever try. It's ridiculous. Todd Helton benefited majorly from playing at Coors Field. It's the best hitters ballpark ever, uh, quite frankly, mm-hmm. like at least in our generation, maybe like in the early 1900s. I don't know about like Ebbets Field and the Polo Grounds and, you know, old Yankee Stadium, although those ballparks used to be big and massive. So I doubt there are offensive ballparks. But Todd Helton, I looked at this today because like I, I think of Colorado hitters, especially back then, because now like they have the humidifier. They try to doctor right. the balls to make it even across the board. But when Todd Helton was playing, they didn't have any of that. So Coors Field was was producing offensive stud after offensive stud after offensive stud. So I wanted to dive into Todd Helton's road splits. Okay. So I just all I did was I cut out Todd Helton's home numbers. I, I didn't give him the benefit of playing at Coors Field. And then I doubled his road totals because he played every year at Coors Field. So it makes it easy to do. Right. Just eliminate the home totals, double his road totals. This is what Todd Helton would be if he was not a Colorado Rocky. 287 average for Todd Helton. Okay, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. 885 OPS. Eh, that's good. Hall of Fame, good? No. 2,200 hits. Eh, whatever. 284 home runs for a first baseman. 1,094 RBIs. Eh. Lance Berkman, by comparison to Todd Helton, 293 average to Helton's 287 if you just double his road numbers. Berkman, 943 OPS versus Helton on the road at 885. Berkman had 1,900 hits. That, that's something that dings him big time. But that's because he walked a lot. Like, he, he, was, he was very selective. He was very patient. So you're dinging him for being a selective hitter. Not fair. Lance Berkman, 366 homers. Helton, if you double his road numbers, 284. And then RBIs, over 1,200 for Berkman. Helton was right under 1,100 if you double his road totals. So what this tells me is that Lance Berkman got screwed, flat out screwed, that he got let off, left off the uh, – he got voted out of the Hall of Fame voting process after one vote. And quite frankly, 
I don't think Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer if he didn't play away from Colorado. You. I think that they should put a bust of Coors Field on Todd, Hel- Todd Helton's plaque, not a face of Todd Helton. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, look, you, you mentioned it, but there were a lot of guys in that era <clears throat> that capitalized on the altitude in, in Denver. And, and, you know, Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. Larry Walker had some big, big years when he was in Colorado. Um, what was the third baseman during that year or two that ended up with the Astros for a couple of years. Vinny Castilla. Vinny Castilla. He had great hair. Fantastic He hair. had monster bomb shots in Colorado. And then, you know, when he was anywhere else, like you said, he fizzled out. Um, so you make great. I think Berkman is, is was completely screwed over by the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest switch hitters of all time. The, the guy it was a winner. Like you said, he had a great eye at the plate. He was big time on those killer B teams, too. But, you know, he won a World Series when everybody looks at, you know, all the accolades and all the things done. And he even adds a, a World Series to it later in his career. But I, I just think that he got screwed royally by the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and this isn't really so much like I know that it's taken a swing at Helton. It's more of a Lance Berkman take than a mm-hmm. Todd Helton take. I know that I'm taking a swing and Helton's catching strays out of this. But Helton, man, like put it, just put a picture of Coors Field. That, that should be on his plaque. All right, 713-780-ESPN. You have Hall of Fame thoughts? Do you even get worked up about Hall of Fame these days? I try not to, and then day of, I get those emotions. Uh, 713-780-3776. Also, why is Joe George not here today? Not only today, the rest of the week. What in the world could be going on where Joe George misses the rest of a He worked on Monday. But he's not Tuesday through Friday. 713-780-3776. Cash him or trash him Tuesday. Which Texan free agents should they keep? Which one should they go? Biggest offseason questions. Maybe the Astros are still looking to add. Left-handed outfield bat with some speed. Who who kind of fits those uh, criterias? That would be a fit for the Houston Texans. Also, is Jose Altuve the most likely active player in Major League Baseball to be a Hall of Famer? 713-780-3776. Killer B's ESPN 97.5 at ESPN 92.5. It's good to have HRMP on my side because whenever I make fun of Joe George, well, I got HRMP on my side. Uh, Mike Hall, a U of H class of 1990, go Cougs, has been protecting the interests of businesses for nearly 25 years. HRMP provides comprehensive human capital management services, including HR compliance, benefits and administration, and payroll. HRP will also work with you to customize a plan for whatever you need. There's nothing cookie cutter about HRP. A little bit of help, a lot of help, anything in between. HRP will create a plan for what you and your business needs. Also, their customer service second to none. You'll never talk to a stranger on the other side of the line. You'll be calling someone that is familiar with you, familiar with your company. I can speak to that customer service. Anytime I have a question, I always get a quick response. Very easy to understand. Let HRP take on the demands of human resources and eliminate your HR burdens so you can get back to growing your business. Give them a call at 281-880-6525. Let HRP customize a plan for you. 281-880-6525. Or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's blank on Branham Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN at 92.5. Uh, 3062, these guys policing who gets in is entirely, uh, utterly ridiculous. Uh, at some point, everybody has to give up their post. Yeah, the baseball writers are, yeah, whatever. Zero, I don't want to get into the baseball writers. 0102, Wagner isn't remembered like Mariano because Strohs couldn't stay in the postseason. That's, that's a fact. I mean, that's true. Like I, I, That's not a dig at all. I think it's 100% accurate. 
I do think that there is some some Northeast bias there, too. Now, it's hard to say because the Yankees were dominant. The Yankees were winning World Series each and every year. Like, if, if Mariano was a Met his entire career, would he have been more recognized than Billy Wagner? Uh, more. I mean, New York's New York, right? I mean, you're going to get yeah, the I love so. no matter what. I, I just think that when you're in a market like that, you're going to have plenty of guys that are going to be on your bandwagon that are going to sing your praises to high heaven to get your, get you where you need to go. So I just think that overall, all of it's skewed. The fact that from the Football Hall of Fame where you got to have a presenter and they have to go and try to, like, debate you in when you know what you did on the field statistically and achievement-wise is ridiculous. I think that, you know, I go back to the Basketball Hall of Fame and how Calvin Murphy was on the, the selection committee and he was on the board for it, and he said it was so politically driven and there was so much bias that he pulled his name out of the uh, – he, he said, I don't want to do this ever again. And he goes, I can't believe that behind the scenes if people saw how this stuff was done. And it was basically centered around Guy V because he thought that Guy V deserved it way, way, way before he even got in. And, and he's like, this is a travesty, and this is all biased based on either who you covered or East Coast or you know however you want to look at it. And I think it's all skewed. Yeah, it is. Uh, wrong answers only. Why is Joe not here today? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. And the rest of the week, uh, Joe is on his way to Daytona for the twenty four hour race this weekend. That sounds dangerous. Hopefully, it's not the same driver. Uh, Joe's having a vasectomy. Eh, wow. I don't know about that. What are the uh, Martha lights? This guy says going to watch the Martha lights at Martha, Texas. No idea. Never heard of it. Uh, I don't even know where Martha, Texas is. To be honest with you. Yeah, I don't. I think it's the Marfa lights, by the way. I don't think it's the Martha. I just Googled it real quick, and it says Marfa, not Martha. So probably a Siri mistake there. Probably not. Uh, if somebody knows what that was, I imagine they knew it was not Martha, uh, but probably just a Siri thing there. Uh, 0367. All right, so who's the most active Who's the active player that has the best chance for the Hall? Uh, 713780 ESPN. 0367 says it's not Altuve that's the most likely Hall of Fame uh, currently in the Major League, ba- in Major League Baseball. It's his teammate, Justin Verlander. I would agree with that. Um, there was a, a, a site earlier, CBS Sports, that they ranked their 10 active Major League Baseball players closest to becoming Hall of Fame locks, and they led their list with Mookie Betts. I overlooked Justin Verlander. The fact that Justin Verlander isn't on there. Now, he makes a caveat at the bottom that says right off the top, we'll skip Kershaw, Scherzer, Verlander, and Trout because they're already a lock and not nearest locks, which is kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would agree with the Verlander thing, and it's really weird how he worded this. Now, it's interesting he says Mookie bets, but the reason that he dings Jose Altuve and moved him from second to eighth behind bets, I'd argue that, was because of 2017. So why is Altuve getting dinged for 2017? Yeah. But Betts isn't getting dinged for his time in Boston. It, it's it's a, that's another joke. Uh, that's another reason why, you know, when you you wonder and you have to question, it's like you should be doing more kind of due diligence on, you know, who's got the ballots and things like that. But you you look at it and say you're exactly right. The best year you had was in Boston with all the cheating and the video coordinator. You you fell off you got paid a, a boat ton, but you fell off pretty pretty drastically. You still had good years, but then you get the video coordinator back, and all of a sudden you have another resurgent year. But yet, Altuve is the only guy that cheated. It's that that to me is just another reason why this whole thing is just it's it's just a joke. 
Yeah, I, I, that's that's why I get disinterested in Hall of Fame stuff is because you have these riders playing moral high ground, but they don't have any consistency. So, like, Altuve, who you know, was on the 2017 team, like absolutely mm-hmm. on the 17 team, but everything that we've learned about Jose Altuve was he was somebody who didn't want the signs, and in fact there's yep. video evidence of a time when he accidentally got it that he was kind of yelling at the dugout. Uh, all of the teammates of Jose Altuve say, yeah, Altuve had nothing to do with it, didn't want it, never used it. Whereas Mookie Betts, you can turn to his biggest two seasons of his major league career and have the video guy that you were talking about. Yeah. His biggest season in Boston, he flat out admitted that everybody was doing things. So the the inconsistency of Mookie Betts being like untouched when it comes to sign stealing stuff and Jose Altuve being like uh, covered up in stain because of it is again baseball riders playing moral high ground when they have no clue. I mean, here's the thing. He's a hell of an athlete. He's a hell of a baseball player. Anybody that can play right field and second base and do it at an above average level uh, and shows you he's got speed. He was he was a fantastic right fielder. Now he's going to play second base. Look, he he, he had. He, it's like the people that want to ding Barry Bonds don't realize he was a five tool All Star, multiple time MVP. Well before there was the clear and the cream and all the things that everybody want to point a finger at him with. Mookie's a hell of a baseball player, but Mookie cheated too. So if you're going to have one guy have to wear it, then everybody's got to wear it. And there's no way he should be number one on your list because between the stories and the evidence and the numbers and the things that you were just talking about and the video coordinator, you can't tell me that he's clean as a whistle. No, and I also think that Jose Altuve's got a chance to go down as like the top two greatest offensive second baseman ever. He's still got work to do, and he has to stay healthy. And and his defense isn't going to be up there with like some of the other all time greats. Like he's never going to get there in WAR and like some of those new advanced numbers that writers are like trying to be cool and use. But from an offensive standpoint, I think he can be top two, maybe even like top one greatest offensive second baseman of all time. And, and Mookie Betts, like Mookie Betts, is a really good player. Like this is another like argument for a Houston player where another player is catching strays. But Betts is also still 31 years old. You look at his career numbers, like he's got he's still under 1500 hits, so he's got a ways to go to get like the 3000 number. He he does have 252 home runs, which is a lot, but like with his frame, is he going to be somebody that slugs 30 homers a year for the next 5 seasons? Eh, I don't know. Jose Altuve's already over 2000 hits. Like he's going to be chasing 3000 if he stays healthy. So yeah, I, I having bets ahead of Altuve to me is not so much the crime here. The crime here is more that Altuve gets dinged for sign-stealing stuff when he never did it, and Betts isn't getting dinged at all for sign-stealing stuff. The other guys they have behind Mookie Betts on this list, they have Betts at one. They have uh, Goldschmidt second, which would be cool. You know, played his college ball at Texas State, played his high school ball at the Woodlands High. Freddie Freeman's third, Nolan Arenado's fourth, Bryce Harper's fifth. Manny Machado, six, Garrett Cole, seven, Aaron Judge, nine, and then Kenley Jansen, uh, kind of interesting, making the top ten. They have Correa listed as just missed the list, which tells me this is a bad list because I don't think Carlos Correa is anywhere near a Hall of Famer, and I love that guy. This is, uh, this is interesting. Interesting when you look at the active players closest to becoming Hall of Fame locks, and then you leave out the locks like Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, and Justin Verlander. I want to put this list on the list Thursday. You should. I take Boulevard. Yeah, you yeah. absolutely should. Look, I, I just think overall, too, and maybe it's just getting jaded because of the way the balloting goes and because of the way you get in or don't get in. I just feel like there isn't these 
sure, you know, there's not a lot of surefires that just say superstar, but I don't know how you don't look at the game and the entirety of Altuve's career and, and just see the greatness, regardless of how much if you hate the Astros or, you know, it, it, you can't just forget about 17. They want another one. Like you said, and, and look, it, it's been highlighted and documented by Reddick and, and Marwin, Correa, all these different guys that came out and said, Altuve didn't do it. He did not do it. But it's just as simple as a John Boy fallacy, you know, social media post and video that wanted to get clicks that got so much more than that. It started driving a bus that this guy is a cheater that fans in New York and L.A. and Boston, you know, can't get out of their heads to keep referencing how big of a cheater he is. And if you just did a little homework, you'd figure out, yeah, that team cheated. He wasn't one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, Betts has, Betts has flat out admitted it. Like, he, he's flat out said it out loud that he, he did. Uh, 3062, the sign stealing era needs to be a red organized error in baseball, just as the steroid era is uh, you can't ban people or chastise or punish guys for doing what everybody else in the league is doing. I, I think that's a great idea because I, I've been on record that I have no problem with Barry Bonds using PEDs. I, I hate that. Like, I hate what it did to the record book and I hate what it's done to his legacy. I would have liked to see Barry Bonds' career play out without performance enhancing drugs to see where he would stack up amongst the greats in Major League Baseball history. And to your point, I think he'd be up there with the greats. Uh, Barry Bonds on steroids is the greatest baseball player in Major League Baseball history. But I can't knock Barry Bonds for doing it whenever he was the best player in that generation and he's sitting there watching the home run chase of 1998, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, who are nowhere near the player that Barry Bonds is. They're getting all the accolades. They're getting all the recognition. They're getting all the commercials. They're getting all the money. And Barry Bonds is sitting there. Those guys are juicing. I'm way better than them. How do I catch up? So I don't knock Barry Bonds for doing that. I don't knock any player in that era for trying to keep up with the Joneses. So I like that text a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I just, I look at, I look at some of the numbers, and like I said, look, I don't. It, it's hard for me. I like, I've always liked Mookie Betts as a player. I think he's a really good dude too. But I just think that. He is extraordinary to play multiple positions as good as he's played. We saw Biz being a guy that has done that too. But the fact that he could just change gloves and go out on the infield and play the second base or the, the shortstop or wherever they need him to play, and and he still whether you know he the cheating was part of his career or not. Overall, his career offensively and defensively has been way above average. So he's definitely worthy of being on that list. But to put him at one, not put Altuve where he deserves to be, and then you look at some of the other guys, and I just kind of go, eh. Okay, yeah, it's a different era. I get it in all the sports, but particularly in baseball where you used to have all these standout guys. But look, I tend to agree with you on Barry Bonds because the same thing I would say about Clemens, but it's different because I just, to the level of usage and the longevity, but Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer well before any kind of steroid mention came into the picture. And whether he won the all-time home run title or not, when you talk about from the time he came up with the Pirates and, and what an unbelievable defender he was and the five tools that he had, and he hit for average and he hit for power, and he and Griffey Jr. to me were the two most pure-looking baseball players I had seen. I just don't think you should be able to snub him out of the hall. No, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I, Bonds was one of my favorite players growing up. So good. And Bonds, like you said, pre-Roids was all, already a yep. Hall of Famer on, on that track. And then once he did it, he was literally the greatest player of all time. No one can touch a Barry Bonds on juice. No one. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. So this is, this is what the Hive wanted. The Hive wanted some Houston Texans offseason talk. So which pending Texan free agent should stay? which 
should go. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I know where you should go for Valentine's Day. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. Check out this deal. Look, if you're like me, you procrastinate for Valentine's Day. You're always thinking last minute. Well, you're hearing me say this now. So here is your indicator. Just go ahead and reserve a table right now at Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. Cross it off the list. Uh, Get ahead of the game this year. But this Valentine's dinner special is incredible. What a deal. Dinner for two for less than 40 bucks. That's right. Dinner for two, $39.99. Two house or pineapple margaritas. That sounds like a great start. Some Tex-Mex queso for an appetizer. That sounds really good. I like queso with my salsa and with my margaritas. And then for your dinner, combo fajitas with bacon-wrapped shrimp as well. You get some beef. You get some chicken. You get the bacon-wrapped shrimp. And then for dessert, a big piece of shareable tres leches or Mexican carrot cake. Valencia, the Valencia's Valentine's Dinner Special for less than $40. You have to take advantage of this. Head over now to the website right now, Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage to order and to reserve your spot at Valencia's. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, the best Tex-Mex in Houston where they have happy hours seven days a week, brunch deals that will blow you away, plus game day specials. You can get uh, jumbo margaritas for $8, $1 off draft beer uh, whenever the Rockets are playing, or just take Take out. You can order takeout and get the Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage Fiesta Packs and margaritas to go. Do that. Do the Valentine's Dinner Special. Dinner for two, $39.99. It's Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. Tex-Mex from scratch. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. He's blank on Branham. Where is Joe George today? Where is he the rest of the week? Alex says Joe soft. You just made the list. Kook says Joe is at the Cabo Cup. I wouldn't mind being at the Cabo Cup. Wrong answers only. Why is Joe George Actually not Actually sounds here really fun from what Granado has yeah. said. Is he out in Cabo right now? That's what it is. The Cabo Cup is Granado and seven of his buddies that have a boat ton of money that are going and having like a Ryder Cup golf experience in Cabo. Oh, I thought it was like uh, I thought it was like these Cancun World Series things. I think I it's it was like actually you're on vacation. You're going. I didn't realize it was actually Granado's thing. Yeah, he's been talking about it on the air. It's sixteen guys, eight, uh, two teams of eight, and Granado was talking about how his buddy's house that they all stay at in Cabo is the size of a Ritz Carlton and all that kind Jeez. of stuff. I don't have 15 friends that I could I could do this with. I was walking through the uh, Salt Lake Airport yesterday. I'm in uh, Provo now, UH, uh, BYU tonight. But um, there was a little, you know how there's kiosks and little shops and stuff yep. inside the airport? There was one called uh, Granado's Italian Market. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. I, was like, I almost took a picture of it, but I was really tired. And I was like, eh, whatever. Uh, this just doesn't feel funny right now. But in hindsight, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, the Texans do have a little bit of uh, news today. Now, this isn't the big award. The Pro Football Writers Association is not the AP. Uh, but the Pro Football Writers Association is named C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson as the rookie of the year on their respective side of the balls. So that's good. The draft class looking good for the Houston Texans, a day that okay. will live in infamy for every other team in the NFL. NFL. Uh, also, the uh, the defensive line coach for the Houston Texans is gone. He's no longer with the Houston Texans. I don't know how to pronounce Joaquis, I think. Yuck. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, but the defensive line coach for the Houston Texans is gone. 
Yaquis Cesar, Cesar, I have no idea. Did they say where he's going or that they just no, let him just, go? He, or? Just, he just says his defensive line coach said his contract has expired. He will not return. He did have a quote, said we did some great things over there, got nothing but love for those guys. So this to me sounds like the Texans didn't renew him. It kind of does. And, you know, I was thinking about it as you said that because I wasn't aware of it. And you start thinking back going, well, Collins and Rankins and the D-line played a whole hell of a lot better than it's played in the last two, three years there had to be some kind of personality conflict or something attached to that because the D-line, actually the talent improved, but you would think that he would get some credit for the development of the four guys that played pretty damn good in the defensive front. Yeah, I thought that the the defensive line did a good job, but I also yeah. trust D'Amico. Like, it's D'Amico's defense, though. Like, D'Amico's your it's defensive true. mind, and if D'Amico's like, eh, we can get better there, I, I feel like it wasn't, like, to their potential. It's like, oh, okay, well, I trust D'Amico with the defensive side of the ball, so I really don't have druthers over it. And I, I'll be honest, have you ever heard of Joaquin Cesar before just now? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Like, I know McDaniel's a receiver coach. I know Gerard, the quarterback's coach. I had no idea who the defensive line coach was before. Be- before today and maybe that's my fault maybe that's my fault I'm with you I would agree with you I didn't know who he was 713-780-ESPN so the the Hive wanted us to do some Texans offseason chat which is great because there's a lot to look forward to when it comes to the Texans offseason I I think the first thing that you have to have a conversation about are the pending free agents the the guys who are currently on your team that can leave in the offseason because they're without a contract. The The very top of this list is John Grenard, and John Alexander does really good work for the Houston Chronicle. He has some projections on some of these pending free agents and how much money uh, they could command. For John Grenard, he says that uh, he'll command somewhere between $17 million and $21 million per year. I imagine you're looking at at least a four-year deal. Like, I can't see him doing a three-year deal. So $17, 21000000 million, somewhere around four years. John Grenard, what's your play if you're Nick Casario? Uh, I think that he, I think he's pricing himself out. I think best case scenario is you can you tag him for one year and see what he, what he's got for you. But even at that price, you know you're going to be paying a, a premium in one year, uh, and you do have the money and the flexibility financially to do it if you want to do it. But you know from our conversation yesterday, I hear what you're saying about his injuries. I just think that there's been inconsistencies. And look, you saw him in year one of a D'Amico defense with a guy like Will Anderson on the other side. But you you got to be convinced he's going to be that dominant every year because that's the kind of money you're you're spending on guys that are you know top five, top seven at their position that are you know dominating year after year. And the Watts and the you know even the guys that that are on the uh, going to be on the market, the Allens and the Queens and the. the there's, there's guys that just have showed you multiple years, back-to-back years, that they're really they're really dominant year after year. And from a Grenard perspective, and I don't know how much I read into the ankle or not either, but I just think that he had he had his best season at the, at the right time. We see this so many times. Guys bet on themselves or the year of getting ready to enter free agency, they go off the charts. And then once they sign a deal, everybody's left scratching their heads for the next couple of years going, what happened to that? You know, where could what, what could we do that again? And that's not even bringing in the health concerns. I would just look at the rest of the market, and if that's what it's going to cost, I, I would consider seeing if I could find someone like him that either you feel already is just a more dominant football player, or you, you, you if nothing else, if you say, look, John's been loyal to us. We like what he was able to do last year with Will on the other side. Give him one more year, and then analyze from there and, and see where you go from there. I, I just... That's a whole lot of money for too many years for me. 
Yeah, and the thing is, if you let him hit the market, now it becomes, I think, more difficult to sign him because sure. now you have every other team that's in play. Uh, so I think that's the challenge of, of doing that. But it is, I mean, depending on what these other teams do with the franchise tag and such, it does seem like a free agent market that's going to have some pretty good uh, edge rushers. I, I am not... I'm not on uh, team sign Grenard. I- I'm not. I'm not hashtag pay the man. I'm not giving him between 17 to 21 million for three to four years. Grenard in his first four years in the league played 13 games, 12 games, eight games, 15 games. Uh, that's that's not enough for me for a guy that I'm going to be paying top dollar to. Also, his first four years in the league, rookie year one. Okay, whatever. One sack. It's his rookie year. We we can look past that. But then eight, one and a half, 12 and a half. Like if I'm paying a guy between 17, 21 million dollars, I need him to be a double digit sack guy each and every year now where I might hedge this a little bit and maybe I will you know walk it back a little is I started to think about the franchise tag like I'm not paying that contract I'm not I'm not giving them a four-year deal in, in that range I'm not doing that point blank period would you franchise tag them though? The expectation is the ex- the expectation for the franchise tag for defensive end is a little bit north of twenty million dollars. So instead of the somewhere between seventeen and twenty one on a multi year deal, would you go the franchise tag route where you're paying him a little bit north of twenty, which might be higher than his you know his value on the market, but it's for the one season. Yeah, I think I, I'm willing to take that chance, right? If like I said, if if all signs point to great locker room guy. Had had his his best season last year, but if there's any doubts at all, if, if there's doubts at all in terms of dedication, injury history, um, you know, just ability wise, that he's able to do the kind of things that you just mentioned too about being consistent year after year. That I was that I had talked about with some of the the, the greats that are the top five seven in his position. Then that's the easiest way out. Yeah, it costs you a couple extra million dollars. You can you can find ways to get that money back if you need to use it in free agency or whatever with the with the the, the cap. But overall, I'm more willing to say that that's the route that I want to go than committing four years and you know however many millions of dollars and then seeing a guy that underachieves or breaks down again when you're going to be in this window with CJ and his contract being so affordable that you got to pounce on and capitalize on that you really can't afford to make a 20 some million dollar mistake. It's one thing to do it over a, for a one season, but if it lasts over two or more of the, the, the longevity of a four year deal, that's too long. Yeah. So I, I would, uh, I would consider the tag. Uh, this would be something that if, if Grenard's on the Texans next year, I would hope it's with the franchise tag. Now, if you're using twenty million dollars, and if tech, like the way Texans cap is reported, that some of these futures deals, you're going to get it down to sixty. Well, all of a sudden, that's a third of your cap space, and you can you can create some more. We'll get to that stuff a little bit later in the next coming days. But that's that's going to be between a third and a fourth of your salary cap space on one specific player. If you're okay with that, okay, then you're okay with that. I. I could live with a franchise tag. Franchise tag I can live with because it's like, okay, well, you're not letting a 12-and-a-half sack guy walk for free. He's still a really good football player. The heir apparent isn't in the building right now, so if he does walk, you're going to either have to sign a guy or draft a guy, and how you know long is it going to take for a rookie defensive end to come along? Who knows? So I can live with the franchise tag, and then you you have another year of information. If yep. he's injury-prone next year, what makes your decision next offseason very, very easy? But then if next year he's a 12-and-a-half sack guy again, Again, he stays on the football field. Well, now you're more comfortable giving him a three, four year deal at 16 to 22 million dollars. So I'm okay with a franchise tag. I am not okay with a multi year contract. 
No, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. And again, because this is so key for the entire for the entire amount of money that you have to spend and all the guys that you would like to bring back versus also the guys that you need to bring in to make this team better knowing what you're facing with the schedule next year and expectations, you know, sky high and everybody thinking that you're just supposed to start from here and never look back and continue to get better. To make those improvements, you have to add. You have to add from the draft. You have to add from free agency. There were guys that did enough to, to register as impactful players for what you were able to do this year. A majority of those, I would say that they have to have conversations with to try and do what they can to bring back without overpaying. But with all that, those things being considered, he's a guy that performed well for you for one year. But if they're, like I said, as long as there's doubt, there's question, and there's, a, there's an out to it to where you can escape with just another year on the books to find out what you don't already feel good about and then make a more definitive answer in a year's time, then you do that. 713-780-ESPN. Multi-year deal, franchise tag, let Grenard walk. We'll take a look at some of the other pending free agents, too. 713-780-ESPN. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, we got some big games coming up this weekend. we got games all the time, seemingly every night. But if you're going to have a watch party or you're just looking to relax and unwind and you want some good grub while you're watching good games... I recommend Daisy Dips because Daisy is the name that you know and trust when it comes to sour cream. They always did the dollop of Daisy that everybody puts on their baked potato. But did you know that Daisy makes dips so you don't have to? They make the French onion. They make the ranch. And they make it available at your local grocery store so you don't have to sit there and try to make the right mix like my mom used to make growing up every time we had people over where she would make the French onion dip with the soup mix and the sour cream and the spices, trying to get it all right. Save yourself the time and make yourself a hero no matter how the games go by serving Daisy Dips because they're going to make everything taste better from the pizza and the wings to the chips and the veggie veggie platter. They are game changers and people are going to love that you serve them. Get to the grocery store today and get you some Daisy Dips. You'll be glad you did. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights, but they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. He's blank. I'm Branham. Uh, where is Joe George the rest of the week? He worked Monday, takes off Tuesday through Friday. Weird behavior. Uh, Dab says that Joe is fixing Dab's tires. Not sure why Dab referred to himself in the third person. And I'm it's sorry, a Ricky Henderson. Dab's tires. Yeah, it's like Ricky Henderson. It's The Rock. I don't think Dab. I don't think. I don't think that Dab belongs on the same tier. Ricky Henderson, one of the greatest. The Rock, the most electrifying <laughs> man in wrestling today, or whatever he says. Uh, Dab, no, Dab doesn't belong in the conversation with Ricky and The Rock. By the way, the the greatest manipulator of free agency seasons in the history of professional sports has to be Ricky Henderson. When you look at every time he had a contract coming up he had like a career year or a phenomenal year. And then after he signed like a five, six-year deal at tons of money, he kind of just relaxed a little bit. Would he? Because, I mean, he's one of the greatest baseball players Oh, no players doubt. Ever. Lead-off like hitters, stolen bases. Ever. But what, and they used to let, guys used to laugh about it all the time. Like, he would take it up a notch in contract years. And to his credit, to what you're saying, too, like, he had Hall of Fame talent. But then once he got the deal, he just not. I'm not saying that you, you kind of. He just kind of relaxed a little bit more. He wasn't like as hyper focused all the time. Yeah, he went to like 90 percent. Ricky Henry. I'm gonna have to do a deep dive. On he was that one of my favorite players, up. especially when he was with the A's. Dude was just. I mean, he did everything. Looks like he won the MVP in the first year of a deal, though. 
just quick little look up on that. Okay. But uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky was one of my favorite too. Like I, I love like the Ricky quotes and the John Olerud. I used to play a guy who wore a scully back in uh, back in Toronto. Yeah, it was me, Ricky. Uh, That's signed, right. Like, the That's one right. million yep. dollar signing bonus, where like instead of getting a replica check, he just framed it and they called him like, "Hey, we have a we're showing a balance that we owe you a million dollars." Yeah, yeah. I still have my my check framed. He was uh, he's one of a kind. I, I no love doubt. Ricky. Ricky was one of my favorites too. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. 5912 says, uh, I say we go for uh, Josh Allen. He is a free agent this year. Yeah, price is going to be up there. I'm wondering if Jacksonville just lets Josh Allen leave without also franchise tagging him. I would say that Allen's a better player uh, than John Grenard. Mm-hmm. Um, 17 and a half sacks this year versus 12 and a half for Grenard. He's been healthy 17 games last year, 15 games the year before. He had seven sacks the year before, seven and a half the year before. He had 10 and a half sacks in his rookie year. So he's been he's been more consistent than John Grenard. Uh, I would say Allen's better. I, I agree with you. I, I think that I think a lot of people thought immediately about the quarterback when that name came out of your mouth. But yeah, yeah, look, I think Josh Allen is a guy that, you know, again, with free agency pending, he had, he had an unbelievable season, but I, I, I just think Jacksonville is going to franchise tag him. I think that they can't afford to lose him. Um, I know they just hired a new defensive coordinator, uh, but they need to make sure that their defense shows up next season. And he's a big reason why they can do anything on defense. I, I just can't see them letting him walk out of the building. Yeah, I tend to tend to agree. I, I would say that Allen's better than Grenard, but I don't think Allen's ever going to be on the table for the uh, for the Texans. The next player that, that's pending free agent for the Texans, Dalton Schultz. Uh, Schultz was on the one year prove it deal at around nine million dollars. Uh, Alexander saying that he'll probably command somewhere between ten and twelve and a half million per year. I would imagine he want a multi year deal too, probably looking at two three year deal uh, for Dalton Schultz. Ten to twelve and a half, two to three years for the tight end. What are you thinking on him? I think he's probably, you know, again, unless CJ puts his foot down, and and I, I don't think CJ's the kind of guy that's going to go, you know, too crazy in terms of trying to to hoot and holler about keeping a guy, even if it's Dalton Schultz and their friends. Uh, I just think Dalton Schultz is going to play somewhere else. I, I think that unless Dalton Schultz wants to, you know, kind of hone in on his expectations to say I ha- I liked it here, I think he has to admit that he didn't play as well here as a lot of people thought he was going to play uh, late in the season. There were some key drops. Um, you always were kind of waiting for more for him, though he had some big plays along the way too. The one that, you know, he took out of the air and stole from a defensive back and some of the the key third down moments. But overall, if you're talking about the numbers that you're throwing out there, and especially if we get upwards of 11 and 12, I think you find another tight end on the open market, but you just, or you draft one. But I just don't think that you're going to be looking to spend that much money on Dalton Schultz. Yeah, I'm out on Schultz too. His hands kind of question me. Like or the, he bobbles a lot of passes, brings a lot to his chest. He's had some really bad drops this season as well. Uh, Casario found him, you know, at nine million dollars. I think you can find a guy similar to him, if not better than him, uh, in free agency around the same amount, or, or if, even if he's not better. I think in the ballpark. So instead of paying Schultz ten to twelve and a half million dollars on two to three years, go find the next Dalton Schultz at nine million for one year, or maybe you fall in love with somebody in the draft too, or maybe uh, you were you were pretty pleased with what you saw with Brevin Jordan this year. Sure. I'm not I'm I'm uncomfortable making Brevin Jordan the, the tight end number one I'm with you. going into next season, but I'm okay with signing a lesser tight end one and sharing the low with Brevin as my tight end too. Yeah, look, I, I think that you need two guys that can consistently be more than just a pass catcher and or one be a catch pass catcher and one be a blocker. And and I think look Jordan showed enough and the blazing speed that everybody remembers from going down the sideline, but he, he's he's got a lot of athleticism. And, and if he can show that he can block, 
then he should be in the mix and could be one of your two tight ends. But I think you're going to probably, like you said, you got to go out of the building or you got to draft one that, you know, you, you have more options and more talent because I question Schultz's hands as well, too, and you know he's not a great blocker, uh, that if you can get someone, and look, the tight last year the, the draft for tight ends was extremely good, and there were a lot of good tight ends coming out, and a lot of those guys already showed that they belong, and some of the guys that people didn't have ranked as high, like Kraft in, in, uh, in Green Bay, turns out to be a guy that Green Bay relied on more so in a lot of ways than Musgrave late in the year, and Musgrave was dinged up, but the two of them, they went out in the draft and they got both of their tight ends for the foreseeable future and didn't have to spend money in free agency. So there's going to be ways that you can add another tight end to the mix. And, and like, you know, if he, Dalton walked away from three and 33 from the Cowboys to get to the one year deal with the Texans and he was banking on, you know, having a, a, a bet on me season to get to the next level. If that next level means he's looking for three and 33 yet again, or more then I think you're, you're out. Yeah, I imagine he'd be looking for that. You're right. Sheldon Rankins, it doesn't list a dollar value for Frank, for Rankins. Rankins will be 30 next season. Uh, a big factor in the Texans improving their run defense, but was here last year whenever they were not very good at that run uh, defense. What, what's the level of priority that you have in making sure Rankins is a Texan? I'd pay close attention. I like him. I thought he was a good fit. I thought it was he. You know, he really stepped up at a point in time. Was he? I'm not. I'm questioning my own memory, but I thought this was his first year here. No, that was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. I, was, I got him confused. I was confused with Malik Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it that, was Rankin's fine. first year. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, but those two guys were a massive reason, literally, that you're, you were able to stop your your run defense was way better. You were able to stop the run more frequently and, and that your front seven was a little bit more respected than it had been over the last several seasons. And I think Sheldon Rankins is a guy, much like Schultz, came in here on a, a bet-on-myself short-term deal to try and prove that he belongs somewhere where he can make more money. And I think as part of that, playing for D'Amico, playing the defense they played and having some of the success that he had, that, yeah, there might be other opportunities out there, but I would think that that's a guy that would want to be here that they would want to keep. So unless he tries to go overboard on the the money side or the years side, that's a guy that I'm not going to prioritize him at number one on the list, but I'm going to tell you that he's fairly high in terms of a guy that I certainly would like to bring back. See, I like I like what Casario has done with the defensive tackles, whether it's Rankins, whether it was Collins the year before, even Ridgeway I liked. So it's one of those things like is Casario just finding these gems and he can do it again? So like the overpaying of guys that you found on value deals is something that I hesitate with. And I'm curious. And then D'Amico also had that, that quote after the game. I can't remember if it was immediately after the game Saturday or if it was whenever he was meeting with the media on uh, – on Monday where he's like, we have to be good in our front four. And it's like, okay, you didn't think you were good enough. Right, and if, right. and if you, you didn't, and they got rid of their defensive line coach today too. So like, maybe that's an indicator that they feel like they can upgrade there. Uh, because you had D'Amico say, we have to get better up front. You got rid of your defensive line coach. These guys are free agents. I wonder if they, they feel like they might be limited in terms of talent. I, I, I would hope not because I think that maybe it's just that we just have been so, uh, shortchanged in terms of the talent we've seen over the last couple of years with, with at the position, but I thought those guys really upgraded the position, uh, the positions, and played them very well. And maybe it was more indicative of what he was thinking about the coach than he was the talent on the field. But you know, I, I think that you also look at it and say, well, they brought in uh, the kid from Tennessee. They they kept bringing guys in, so maybe they weren't pleased overall with, or maybe it was just a depth thing. I don't know. But I was pretty pleased with the way that they played. And, and from D'Amico's standpoint, you're never going to get the opportunity, and very few teams are going to get the opportunity to have the D-line that he coached in San Francisco. So 
Yeah, you can upgrade, and then you can have a pipe dream. But I thought those guys played fairly well. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. What about a Stevie Nelson? What about a Devin Singletary? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five, ESPN ninety two five.